Here we are. Welcome to uh, Living Undeterred. I'm Jeff Johnston, and I am honored and blessed today to be with the average dude, Daniel <laughs> Allison. How you doing, my friend? Doing good. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Now, I have to preface this. I think you look great, but I know right now you're on what number day now battling COVID? This, tomorrow, I'm on day 13. Uh, okay. so tomorrow will be day 14, and feel like I've turned the corner, so... I'm, I'm actually feeling grateful that I've turned the corner and start feeling a little better. So, I know we had this scheduled uh, for last week, and you were like, "No, I don't. I don't want to be below average, dude. I want to be the average, dude." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You don't want me below average. You don't want no, me below. Average. Below average is still better. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm I'm uh, excited. You are. Uh, this will be my third podcast. So, um, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about where this all went, but I felt like in a way I kind of owed you the opportunity to reverse the roles because you had me on a guest as yep. a guest on your average dude podcast. Oh, it was, I don't know, a while back. I think it was September, October. Yeah. Um, why don't you just tell a little bit about why you call yourself the average dude? Yeah. Uh, which I, I, disagree with that statement adamantly about you, but, um, and kind of how your presence has been on social media. I know on LinkedIn, you have a lot of really neat, uh, posts and comments and maybe just a little bit of back, uh, background about you for, for the listeners and watchers today. Yeah. So, uh, I, I got into, to personal development five years ago. So, well, I say five, 11, 11, 14, I have the exact date when I started kind of really focusing on self-improvement and, and doing things uh, to improve, to get better. And, uh, and, and part of that journey was going to Toastmasters and uh, working on my public speaking skills. And as we've kind of moved forward, um, that, that has kind of allowed me to start doing some things like videos and wanting to do podcasting and more communication-driven activities. And uh, so it started out with some LinkedIn posts, doing some videos, and then I said, you know what, I, I want to try doing a podcast. So the way that The Average Dude came about, it was a spur of the moment. I said, you know what, I've been talking about doing a podcast. I got on Anchor, which is just the free, mm -hmm. the free uh, podcast uh, app, and it said, record your first <laughs> episode and so I was literally sitting there and I said you know what I, I think I'm just going to talk about being average just being the average dude and and I've always been fascinated by that topic because I think as humans we want to be more than just another human there's right. seven billion of us and so everybody is playing the game of how how can I be something more than just another you know drop in the bucket and I think that that's okay, but I also think it's okay to, uh, to, to, to kind of state the obvious, which is, hey, the truth is we are just another drop in the bucket. The world's going to move on without me or Jeff or anybody. Anybody at a certain point is, is no longer going to be here and the world will continue. And so if we look at enough, I guess, enough variables or if we look at enough large enough data set, we're all pretty average. Right, even yeah, yeah. even your boys who give their art golf, you put them in the right around the all of a sudden they're average if they're around the right group. Yeah, you're right about that, and um, I think it'd be kind of interesting to tell. I, I've never met you personally, 
And yeah. I'm sure you can relate to this. You sometimes you meet people by happenstance, and you feel like you've known them for since college. You know, um, yeah. And I I have never met you personally, nor have I met Steve Grant, who was the yeah. um, maybe the facilitator. How how you and I hooked up was uh, me reaching out to Steve. And by the way, Steve was my my second guest uh, for the Living yeah. Unturned podcast. My first guest was yeah, my two boys. Yeah, Roman and I, okay. Roman and Ian and I were my first my first podcast, which is coming out next week. But then I had Steve on as my second guest, and I figured I had to start with him because him and I both, unfortunately, are members of a club that you know we didn't ask to join. Um, nonetheless, nonetheless, we're in it. And then I met you through Steve, and you had yeah. you had interviewed Steve, I think, um, on your podcast. And then mm-hmm. I, I listened to your podcast, and I said, "Man, this guy sounds." Sounds like he um, really knows what he's talking about, and you were very good at navigating Steve through, the, you know, me as a listener to your podcast and losing a child to heroin. Like Steve had lost two two sons to overdose. Mm-hmm. I thought I got to I got to call this guy or I got to reach out to him. So I mm-hmm. private message you on, on LinkedIn, and then next thing you know, I'm a guest on your show, and now you're a guest on my show. And yeah, uh, but yeah, I just yeah, um, pretty crazy we can all connect these days. What's that? How'd you, how'd you meet Steve, I guess? Yeah, so I met Steve. Uh, that was actually a pretty cool story. I, I was doing some networking, just local business sales networking, and uh, someone that, that I was talking to, uh, they said, hey, what, what account could I help you with? And there was one account that I had in mind that I was working on at St. Joseph Catholic School, uh, and I had no idea that I, I didn't know Steve Grant, but he said, well, I'm going to send down an email, this person that I'm meeting with, his name's Will May, and Will said, Daniel, I'm, I'm going to, I want to try to help you, you know, get into that account. And I said, well, you're more than welcome to try, but I, you know, I, I didn't, didn't hold out much hope. <laughs> he sends out an email and he ends up hooking up with Steve Grant. And of course, Steve Grant, his boys went to St. Joseph Catholic School. Steve caught, caught ba- uh, coach baseball out there. And uh, and Steve ended up calling me and saying, "Hey, I, I know the the headmaster out there, and and would love to help you." We talked for like 15 minutes, and I mean, I was I, I was amazed at how nice Steve was. I mean, we didn't know each other, but still was one contact. Long story short, he sent an email. He read it by me, and I was, he said, "Would this be okay to send to the headmaster?" I was like, "Absolutely." I mean, it was a fantastic, professional, great email. Uh, two weeks later, they called me, and we ended up getting that account. So that's how, that's how I met Steve. Interesting. And, you know, and I met Steve. <laughs> I found his book somewhere on one of the, one of the websites I was on about grieving for losing a child or some addiction website, and I saw uh, "Don't Forget Me." Um, yeah. Wrote in honor of Chris and Kelly, who died, I think, five years apart, almost twenty years ago. Um, yeah. Steve's only two boys, and you know. Um, People ask me sometimes, you know, what's your inspiration, Jeff? I mean, you you lost a you lost a child, and um, you know, you've you've you're now battling through losing a marriage, and what keeps you going? And I said, people like Steve Grant keeps me going. Uh, I have two of my three boys still left, still here. Yeah, he All right. is only two, and so when I interviewed Steve last week, I asked him, how did you end up not joining Chris and Kelly? Uh, through what you went through. And people will have to listen to my podcast to get his answer. But 
Yeah. Um, you know, I tell you what, this journey I've been on, Seth's been gone now since October 4th, 2016. But every time I tell the story, I lose a little piece of me, but I pick up a piece of something else, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's wisdom or knowledge or a new relationship. And I have just met more people, more tremendous human beings in the last pretty much, I'd say, two or three years than I've ever met in my life combined. And ironically, none of it's been in the financial services industry necessarily, which is really where I've been in this business for 20, for 32 years. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you kind of throw your hat in the ring when life throws you a curveball. And that's probably where I wanted to start with you today, um, Mm -hmm. Daniel, is, you know, one of the things that I admire about you and people, people around here will see your posts and they'll, they'll, text me who the hell is this who's this average dude guy that, that you introduced me to there's something about your storytelling there's something about your accent your smile your charm whatever it is you you kind of lure people in with your stories and i really like the fact that and i know you're gonna maybe make a comment on this but when i watch people talk you can tell the ones that are reading off a script rehearsed it sounds i don't know not intriguing mm-hmm. to me. You never have looked like, and I think you had an eight-minute post one time, never yeah. looked like you've ever had any, even a sticky note on the side of your phone when you're doing your podcast, your um, videos. <laughs> so you're genuine. And, and that, that, that I think, has been very uh, successful for you. So maybe where does your inspiration come from? Uh, what tragedy or trauma have you dealt with growing up that has made you look at life maybe in a whole different aspect? Yeah, so so the way that the that I do the the LinkedIn post uh, specifically, I just go with, you know, the best time to act is when that emotion is high. So if the idea comes to me, then I don't waste any time in taking action on that thought. That's so it's top of mind, you know. And and I think that, in other words, sometimes messages lose their 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 effectiveness if the longer we wait between that first time we have an idea. So that's kind of the neat thing with like LinkedIn. You know, if you have a thought and you're in the shower, sometimes I'll, I'll hurry up and dry my hair because I'm like, okay, I feel it right now. I need to hit record right. because this message is hot. And, and so, so I will, you know, that that's kind of how I, I do it. In other words, I think some of the messages that I, I think, Hey, at this point in the game, there's especially in self improvement, everything's been said at least once. We've right. we've heard so really all that we can give as as folks that are trying to produce some content, trying to bring some value, is that extra little umph that we can give it, and that comes from when when we first think about it, when we first think about whatever the idea is, that's the time to hit record. Yeah, and I think you know that social media is. Um got plenty of motivational uh, conversations and videos and to the point where it almost can be people can get immune to it. Um, yeah. I know I talked to um, I talked to a, a, an individual who had a drinking problem a while ago and she uh-huh. was like, you know, I'm tired of people telling me just to, you know, fight, dig deep and do all this stuff. It's like they, they did. They almost put up the barriers because people were being too supportive to them. And I know I know my life when I look back at some of the uh, not confrontations, but some of the conversations I've had with people that have had substance abuse problems. Um, sometimes they do put up those walls and there's almost too much information out there to help people. So how do you avoid just being another 
positive smiley face on LinkedIn. Um, how, how do you make your thing different, Dan? Yeah, I think I think the difference for I, I say the difference. I, let me just say it this way: I do the things that I do, the journaling and and talking about the things that I talk about. It's it's not. The, the gimmick isn't to, to get rich or to do any, hey, it's nice to get the pats on the back, but I'm doing it more for my own psychology. In other words, it feels good for me to make a message about something that's happening to me that I'm going through, and I can use that LinkedIn almost as accountability and, and also just to talk about what's important to me. I mean, I, I, Again, I'm doing the, the journaling, the exercising, the all of the things that go into personal growth and personal improvement. I'm doing it because I need to do it to control my own psychology. You know what I mean? I know exactly that's what first, you mean. That's first and foremost. Like more than anything else, I'm doing it for me because I need to do it in order to keep myself between the, between the lines. Do you ever worry about becoming addicted to your vulnerability? I know I have a blog coming out next week. It's called My Addiction to Vulnerability. And my, my point was that I've told my story so many times that now it just has become where I don't want to be that guy where I walk into a room and everyone splits up saying, here comes Jeff talking about his deceased child again. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be that guy where my story has defined me where it actually is doing more damage than good. And so I think for me, in being vulnerable, I need to be very cognizant that as much as I am sincerely with the best intentions trying to help people, I could also turn people off if I present this too aggressively. Do you, in telling your story, I know you and I have talked uh, after hours, you know, off the show on our cell phones about some personal things that you yeah. and I have been through. Do you ever worry about maybe divulging uh, too much where that vulnerability may adversely affect you in any way? I, I do. I, I think that I think that it's important to you know. It's just it's actually something that I've been thinking a lot. Obviously, this time being by myself, I haven't felt like doing a post on LinkedIn, so I don't even have that connection with the LinkedIn group. This is the first thing that I've really done and, and connected and communicated with anybody, uh, and so it gave me a lot of time to do a lot of self reflection and a lot of thinking. And I think what we have to be careful of is, hey, it, it's great to, to be humble and to, uh, to be vulnerable and that sort of thing, but a lot of, the, a lot of good comes from a little bit of aggression, too. In other words, we, we, can't, we can't castrate ourselves so much that we lose that vigor that gets things done, you know? And so I think that it's important to, you know, um, to stay uh, to stay balanced with that, and and know that we can't always. Uh, uh, it's I don't know. I I, I I I the way that I wrote it is there's there's a, a time for for being humble, then there's a time for being confident, and there's there's a lot of these kind of parallels. This light and dark. You know, we don't have the light without the darkness, or whatever. However, that goes. But I I just think that there's a certain balance that comes in if we want to be effective. And I think that part of being vulnerable is, is I, I, to answer your question, and I don't have the answer, but I do think that vulnerability can be overdone. 
And and if it's yeah. and if it's being used just as a mechanism to get people to connect with you, then I think that that's something that we have to keep our eyes on. And 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 just really what it comes down to is, you know, how do we want to? And this I'm I'm getting off track a little bit here, but how do we want to spend? How do I personally want to spend my life, my time and energy that I have left on this earth? And what is the what's the goal? How can I be effective in doing? Because that that's our purpose, you know. Right. I mean, in other words, I've only got a certain amount of time and energy left, and we all do. And the question that we have to ask is, how how do I want to spend that? What? And so once we kind of say this is what I want to do, well, then it's our job to tweak and to massage our our approach to in order to be most effective that we can be. Yeah, you know, so. the word the word success is such a subjective word. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 54 years old, and I defined success, you know, 10 years ago as the type of car I drove, how big my house was, you mm-hmm. know, what, what what color my cufflinks were on my French cuff shirt. Um, <laughs> that was important to me. You know, now yeah. I could absolutely average dude tie dye shirt today for for our conversation. It's like. I don't. I don't really care about that stuff anymore. Um, I actually made a post the other day, uh, yesterday, where I had someone ask me on an interview on a podcast I was on, "How are your book sales going, Jeff?" And mm-hmm. I said, "I don't know, and I don't care," because the minute mm-hmm. I start quantifying my book sales, I'm going to lose the reason why I wrote the book. You know, yeah. I wrote the book for two things: to honor my son who's not here to, to continue his legacy. And to raise awareness to substance abuse, mental health, and addiction for people that need it. And that was my objective. And I'm sure when you go through your journey about your podcast and all the stuff you're doing, um, yeah, you know, do you struggle with trying to find a financial incentive in what you're doing? Or do you feel very comfortable now being driven by a passion that's non-financial? Uh, I, I would say this. Uh, I, I would say just part of my number one driving force is social acceptance more so than than money and i'm not saying that that's necessarily a good thing i think that it would probably be a good idea for me to be a little bit more driven because for for money because i can i can then provide for those that i care and and love in a more effective way and that's going to help them so i'm not saying that that is a I, by any means, that drive for social acceptance, I know where that comes from, but I also know that it probably holds me back and probably uh, puts the, dangles the carrot in the wrong way sometimes too. Right. But also what may, maybe makes me interesting for people to listen to in, in a certain kind of way. So it's, it's funny. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't handicap or handcuff myself to any particular path. I've got the free. I think what I have at this point in the game is that ability to change direction if that's what motivates me. And so if, if I need to change and I need to, to try something new, then that's what what I will do. Uh, with that being said, if, if there's if if there's a way to monitor, there's there's things that I'm doing right now that aren't directly linked to the average dude. It's part of it, but it's helping me in other ways, right. giving me a little more exposure and and helping me become a better communicator, which is in turn uh, put me in position to make to make more money. 
So it, it, in, a, in a roundabout way, the average dude is helping. Whether I monetize the average dude or not in any way, it's helping me become more effective in what I do make money with. Who have, um, who have been the biggest influences in your life? Um, hmm. I would say, I would say my dad is, is the, the biggest influence and the, the person that keeps me the grounded the most, you know, and, and, and obviously from a, from a DNA and, and who I was around the most, he's had the most impact in my life. Uh, that being said, I've also been fortunate, you know, I've done, a, I've worked in a lot of different industries as the sales guy. So very often I would come in and be the right hand man to the to the to the the business mind, you know, the guy that is making business decisions. And so I've been in a lot of different business businesses, different industries, and so I've gotten to see these really smart guys operate in their in their pond and do their thing. And that exposure has helped me a lot. I mean uh, it, it, it's helped me to kind of compile this database of, uh, because if you, if you swim in the same type of pond, you know, you, you get a little bit of that repeat. In other words, if you're in the insurance business, then you might see a lot of the guys that, right. that have similar traits. But if you're in insurance and then you go into construction, well, this is a totally different skill set and, uh, and, and, and you, you pick up on new things. And so, I've been able to observe what what how they handle themselves, and that so I've I've been influenced by a lot of different people because, and I say unfortunately, but fortunately, unfortunately I've jumped around a lot, which wasn't always a good thing. But fortunately, uh, also jumping around has has given me exposure to those different personalities and skill sets. It makes definitely makes a difference. My my biggest mentors, uh, other other than the obvious you know parent stuff. Uh, yeah, I've been mostly uh, industry-related people that I met early in my career, and insur old insurance mm -hmm. guys that taught me how to sell life insurance door to door early in my career. That yeah. were very good people. You know, the, the product they selling probably wasn't the best, but the people weren't buying the product; they were buying the the person. And I kind of yeah. learned that uh, that that that's what people end up buying. And and I watched some of your pod or some of the uh, videos you do what you did on a sales call that you made. And I think the moral of the story was that, you know, whether you made the sale or not, uh, ultimately it's all about the relationship you have with that potential customer. I was going to ask you, um, again, my ADD is kind of in full blown here. So I, I have a, I have questions here I want to ask you, but you and I have talked yeah. about this in the past. Um, I'm not sure how mm -hmm. comfortable you are about divulging some uh, hurdles that you have, you have cleared uh, in your past. I, I know for me, I was an alcoholic. Uh, I was a compulsive gambler, um, which really being in the investment business probably is not something to confess. Um, yeah. but this was a long time ago, but you know what? I don't really, I don't really care anymore. I'm 54. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't care what people think about me. And uh, hopefully there's somebody out there that is struggling with compulsive gambling or alcoholism that is saying, hey, um, you know, I admire Jeff for opening up about that, being in this business. Again, that's, that's, a, that's a, an area that I was advised not to talk about. Um, yeah, ask you, you and I have talked about this a lot. Um, mm -hmm. What's your thoughts on when it comes to addiction and substance abuse? And I, 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 I try to throw this out to anyone I talk to. Um, in regards to the disease model approach that is primarily driven by 
uh, a large percentage of the population. And then there's those that are more on the choice method where they believe that people aren't as powerless as they believe they are with alcohol and substance abuse. And that it's more just instead of taking mind altering drugs and chemicals, let's just learn to alter our mind. You know, kind of that, mm -hmm. kind of that Occam's razor concept, you know, that yeah. two choices, the simplest idea is normally the best. What's your thoughts on disease versus choice? Have you put much thought into it? And how does that help you personally when you battle some of the things that uh, you have battled in the past? Yeah, I, so I, it's not something, you've, you've asked me the question, it's not something that I normally talk about, but you did ask me the question. So I, what, what I would say is that anytime you take power from someone, in other words, when we tell someone that they have a disease, that typically, that, that, that means that they're less powerful. So they're less in control, and it gives them a reason or, or even just a mindset of, okay, I'm, I am out of control, I need. So that, as humans, what we really want, we want that freedom and we want that power and we want that control, not to dominate others, but so that we are, we are in full control of our mental capacity and we're in control. Control feels good and that feels powerful. I have, I have been, uh, uh, I guess presented with different ideas from different different methodologies and things when it comes to how to deal with addiction and addictive tendencies, and I think that runs the gamut whether we're talking about food, sex, or or drugs, or gambling. I mean, I think it's all of the same. It's that control and power. Um, I, I think the arguments that are made for the disease portion of, of let's say, uh, substance abuse, that the same mechanisms, psychologically speaking, are, are at play when we talk about gambling and things of this nature. We need a distraction. We need something to, to, to get us out of, to help us keep our own psychology above the, the realities of day-to-day of -day living, which it's, can be a struggle. And so we, we shove different things and distract different things, but I think that when we are, when, when someone says, what, what has helped me in the past um, was uh, one particular uh, uh, gentleman, and this was back when I was 22 years old, and the tools that he gave me, I put in my toolbox I didn't use those tools, but I knew when I heard it, it resonated for, as truth to me. His name was Jack Trimpey, and uh, he, he talked about uh, recognition of addictive thoughts in our minds. And that recognition of, hey, there's the mind wanting to pull me back down this path again, and I know what's going on. And when, once we recognize what's happening internally, then... Then we have control. It's once once we see what what our mind is telling us, then we can kind of see through the illusion. And then, regardless of where we are, let's say it's a you know, once we have that recognition, regardless of where we are are in the in the scenario, let's say it's we have a, a problem with alcohol, and I okay, I decide that I'm going to go have a beer, and it, or, or maybe it's better if we call our, call our dealer, right? So we, we, we pick up the phone call, we call him, and okay, I'm, I'm 30 minutes away. And then we put the phone down, and now all of this time, we still have the ability to stop. We still have, if we recognize that we're in control, then any time 
before we actually, so then he brings it to us and it's right there in front of us. Before, before we ingest that substance, we still have an opportunity to take control. And, and so again, it, it, it comes back to that recognition of what's happening and a decision to say, okay, I, I can be more powerful. That being said, Jeff, I also have empathy for folks that are caught up in the addictive cycle. Sometimes right. it's chemically addictive. Right. And, and other times it's just like anyone that trying to tell someone that's depressed to, hey, you need to feel better. That's, right. That is very much the same as telling someone they are using this as in such a way where it doesn't matter if it's a disease or not. They're so caught up in it, they think they need it. Exactly. And so, so it, it it doesn't really matter if I, you know, I, I'd, I'd hate to point at someone and say, oh, you're in control and you have power. That's not when it's going to work. That'd be just like telling somebody that's depressed, well, you need to feel better. That's not going to be effective. Yep. But when, when we can get to their ear, when they, they are craving that power and control, we all are. We all want to feel powerful and in control of our own psychology. And so when you can give that to someone and say, hey, you know what? Maybe you're more powerful than you think, or maybe you're not. You know, I, I like to be kind of challenged like that. Right. In other words, when, when somebody says, well, may, maybe, you know, I thought you, were, I thought you were a strong, powerful person that could be in control. You seem like you're a pretty sharp individual, but, but maybe I'm wrong, you know? So I, I guess some, sometimes that can be planted as a kind of a motivation. Yes, I am. I am powerful. I am in control. Okay, well, show me with the thing that is taking you down, which is this substance or this lifestyle, you know. But, but any way that we can motivate someone, and, and, I, and I say it in that way because I did have someone later on in my life that gave it to me in that, that particular way. Kind of like, well, maybe, you know, and that, then that's when that tool that Jack Trimpey gave to me back when I was 22 years old, I knew I had that tool in my toolbox. I knew I did have control. I think it's, it's amazing. And I have so many roads I could go down by me throwing out the question <laughs> to you. But I remember you telling me a few months ago, uh, we were talking uh, on the phone, and you had told me, because I was asking the same question about you, because I'm always interesting for material when I do my blogs. And yeah. you said, well, it isn't just you choose to have the beer or not. Is it? It's a set of choices. You choose to walk to the refrigerator. You choose to open the door. You choose to yeah. grab the bottle. You choose to open the lid. It's like a hundred little baby choices. If you can just cut one of those off, then you're not going to end up with that beer in your mouth drinking alcohol. And I, that's thought, right. I thought that's brilliant because I think too many alcoholics sit around thinking it's me versus that beer. No, it's you versus the first decision to get up off the couch to get the beer. I, I thought that was brilliant, and I had never heard it put that way. So I'll give you yeah. kudos for that. And I actually have kind of incorporated that into my most recent blog, which I called Brown yeah. the Beast. And yeah. it's, it's in the concept that for a lot of people that are battling this, it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. I, I see all these people on social media talking about the sobriety, and all they're doing is talking about alcohol. And I'm like... What you're subconsciously doing is feeding the beast inside of you. And if you can just find ways to just kill alcohol, just, just, just don't give it any power over you and simply by just stop talking about it. And yeah. I'm not sure for me that, for me that works. I, to me, alcohol is dead to me. I don't torture myself with this today, the day I'm going to fall off the wagon or am I out in social media saying I've not had a beer for 297 days. It's like, 
That's putting too much pressure on me. I, I'm not. I'm not a robot. I'm a human. And if I just yeah. need to have a beer today, I sure in hell I'm not going to torture myself that my alcoholism won and I'm a loser and the self-loathing and and now it just all starts blowing up in front of me. So you yes. said word, Daniel. You said mindset. Yeah. And I know you and I practice meditation. Yeah. Would you like to maybe comment how long you've been meditating? How you think that's helped you with maybe addiction, things like that, and what would you say to somebody who's considering uh, meditation? Yes, uh, all of that. Uh, I would say that one thing that you that you made me think about, as far as those decision trees, and we talk about, you know, okay, I have I have all of these opportunities to take control. All we all we have to be strong and powerful in is this moment. In other words, just like you're talking about, when I get up, I go to the refrigerator, I've got, you know, so I brought the, I brought the beer home. Well, I've already screwed up. I'm going to drink the 12 pack. No, you still, you know, every moment is a moment to take control and have power. So you drink, you drink three beers, you drink four beers, you, you know, at a certain point you start losing your cognitive, uh, decision-making ability. But until then, you still have, you say, I am strong in this moment. And that's what meditation is all about. It's, Look, the, the most powerful position that we can, as a human, that we can be in is to have our, is right here and now. This is where all of the decisions are made. This is right. where our destiny is designed. This is where all of the power is. So it, it's, it's this ability to block out past and future and come into this moment and say, you know what, I'm going to own this moment. I am the master of this moment. That's something that I write pretty often. I am the master of this moment because I don't have to be a master of anything else because right. this decision is the most important decision. And, and so I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a way meditation is, is, is pointing to that fact, you know, so it's okay. This, this moment is, is where, this is where the, this is where the money is. <laughs> if I can own, if I can own this moment, then, then that's all I need to do. And, and it's not just with preventing ourselves from doing addictive things. It, it certainly is helpful in that regard, but it's any time we can say, forget what's happened, forget how many, how bad the day's been, it, forget everything that's happened up, how bad the day, the week, the hour, the minute, whatever. I am in this moment, and what's the best action I can take right now? You, you know, know, in a way, in a way, um, Meditation's not in a way, but for a fact, meditation has helped me deal with the death of, of Seth. And mm -hmm. from the standpoint that my, my view of death and dying is probably different than most people listening to you and I talk right now, in mm -hmm. that I will only go in my past if I can unearth positive feelings and emotions. I'm not going to go backwards and dig up negative feelings and emotions because I'm going to pull those back up to the current. And so when I honor Seth and I, I cry every day, I mean, I told you I cry at least four times a day. Um, yeah. But the weight, the weight of the tears, the, the essence of the tears is completely different than it was when Seth Fertz died. And I'm trying mm -hmm. to teach, I'm trying to teach people that are dealing with some type of trauma is that by allowing yourself to go back in time and basically opening up those boxes of, of suffering and, and all that, you're just not never going to find a way to move on with your life. And, I, and I'm not, 
I'm not saying people have to forget about trauma or, or deny it existed, but accept it as part of your legacy. It's part of your story. I, I write in my book about my 12 daily steps. I mean, trauma and addiction aren't going to go away. They're part of what defines you. I don't want to ever wake up and say, okay, I got over my son's death. Mm-hmm. I'm done. That, that is a foolish proposition. I'm not going to set myself up to wake up and say, boom, you know, I, I, I'm an alcoholic and, and I'm sober now. It's like, now, nah, I'm just choosing today not mm-hmm. to drink. And I'm choosing yeah. today not to have this, the suffering of Seth's death drag me down. Um, yeah. Tomorrow, I don't know. Hell, I, I may not even make it to tomorrow. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to waste time worrying about tomorrow. And I'm definitely not going to waste my energy on what's already happened because hindsight's always 100% accurate. You can always look back and be judgmental of your decisions. But, you know, again, to me, it's more of a learning process. So you mentioned the um, the mindset thing, and it made me think of a podcast I heard uh, from Russell Brand. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of his podcast, but... Oh, yeah, he's good. Interesting character. But he was talking about the concept of I, you know, and you had kind of hinted on that for a moment. And he's like, you know, there really isn't an I. There's we. You have a talker and a listener in your head. And all day long, Mm -hmm. you go back and forth with this this conversation, and you're like the mediator in the middle. And he says at some point, you got to pick a side. Are you the listener? Are you the follower? Or are you the leader? Are you the talker? So you're sitting on the Mm -hmm. couch. You want to have a beer. Which one are you? Are you the Mm -hmm. follower? You're going to get up, open the fridge, and have a beer. Are you the talker? You're the you're the leader. You're the boss of your of your brain. You're going to say no. I'm just not going to get off the couch. And when Russell Brand said that, he didn't say it as hacked up as I just said it. But the way he said it, <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm like you. I'm in the shower listening to a podcast. I'm like, damn, I got to write this down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, draw off quick. Yeah, because I with ADD and you have it too. It's like moments, ideas come in and then they just disappear quickly. And so I got to write things down constantly, but it's like some of those ideas have helped me navigate through my, my stress and what I deal with, with um, the suffering that I went through. And a, 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 a sentence I like to say is that pain is unavoidable, but suffering is a choice. And I'm not sure if I got that from Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning, because I know he says suffering is my opportunity. That's what he writes in, in uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Which, by the way, if anyone hasn't read that book, that has to be on your top of the list for the 2021. Uh, next to my mm-hmm. book, uh, this one's for you. <laughs> there you go. Get that plug in. <laughs> I'm not going to show a picture because that would be tacky. But, no, I mean, so it <laughs> starts for meaning and then this one's for you. That, that's the order you want to read. Um, no, but that book is a great book because Viktor Frankl survived the Holocaust, uh, the concentration camps. And um, he told himself every day, I can't, I can't control what the guards are going to do to me. I can't control what they're going to not feed me or feed me. I can't control if I'm going to live or die, but I can control the attitude I have right in this moment. Yeah, Jeff, you made me think here. I've got to, you know, so, so that, that going back to that, that power in the moment, that control in the moment and that decision-making process of who's like you were talking about with Russell, he says, who's, who's driving the bus, so to speak, you know, I think that it's a good idea anytime that we can almost manufacture an environment where we are playing with the same characters, if you will. In other words, if the reason I take a cold shower 
is because that is the same decision. There's one part of your mind that's saying, no, I don't want to get in a cold shower. The other part is saying, hey, this is better than coffee, and you're going to get out of that, and you're going to have more energy. You need to get in that shower. Who are you going to listen to? You know, uh, the alarm clock goes off. Oh, my God, this bed feels so fantastic. I want to lay here a little longer. Or, hey, I know that if I get up without hitting snooze, I'm going to feel better. And, and again, this is the same sort of negotiating and the same characters at play with when we talk about substances or any decision. It's like, hey, how do you want to feel? What action do you need to take in order to feel that way? Oh, I don't want to have a headache, uh, you know, a hangover. Well, then you better have a two-beer limit or you're going to have one. Right. And so the brain says, man, this feels good. Let me continue. Uh, and, and so I, I know that there's been – all kinds of little uh, test environments with the kids and the marshmallows, you know, and, and, and there's been all sorts of little, um, you know, the kid, the kid says, oh, you, I forget exactly how the experiment's done, but my, my point is delaying gratification, being in control, doing what might be difficult now because you want to feel a certain way later. The mind is always wanting to negotiate, and we have these characters in our minds and so anytime we, again, that we can manufacture that, it's, it's like going to the gym. It's, it's working that muscle, and, and then just the, just the scenario will change. But, you know, we still have that ability. It makes me think of a conversation I had uh, about a year ago when I was researching for my book. And I was very hesitant in trying to take a position publicly on, on this whole disease choice type model because it's like, yeah. is there a God or isn't there a God? When people are set on one side, they ain't budging. And so I was, <laughs> I was talking to an alcoholic friend of mine, and this person was pretty convinced that the reason they drink is because their parents did and their grandparents did, and it's hereditary. But they kept struggling with alcoholism. And I said, okay, um, I'm not going to argue with you whether it's a disease or a choice. The fact is, since you are convinced it's a disease, how has that been working out for you? You know, mm -hmm. how's that ideology, how's that strategy working? And they said, well, it hasn't. They said, well, why not add another arrow to your quiver? Why not trick your brain? I mean, what do you have to lose? You're drinking anyway. Why not trick <laughs> your brain right. if you don't have a disease? And even if you mm -hmm. do, maybe your brain will override it. And, sh and short circuit the fact that you have a disease. I just think when people say, I, I think that's a great idea. I got stacks of evidence here that will say alcoholism is a disease. I, sure, alcohol is a disease. Abuse of alcohol may not be. Mm -hmm. So right. I'll, give, I'll give that whole argument to the people that want to say to me, well, Jeff, I, I, you're not a doctor. You're just a grieving father and, and an addict. Uh, sure, no, no question. However, I will give you, I'll give you full merit that addiction could be disease generated. It could be hereditary. I don't think having 20 beers is. I, I think the yeah. abuse of the substance is where I think the choice really comes into play. And if you are an addict and you're struggling with alcohol and you're convinced it's a disease and you still are struggling, well, then you need to add another way to look at this. And then you have both methods. What, what do you have? That's right. Here today, being right is not even the issue here. It's getting you to no. And no, that's all that that's right. So I don't care if, you, if you're if you right. The fact is, whatever you believe, is it helping you fight the addiction and the abuse that you have? And that's where... No, I think that's very well said. I think that's a great idea. I, I think that, what, like you say, what do you have to lose? 
Right. And and a lot of times it, we fall back into that intellectual, you know, oh, I've got to be right or this right. feels better for me to be right. When, like you say, you have nothing to lose. Go ahead and let go of that belief and let's see if we can play with it a little bit, you know? <laughs> you know I was, again, I'll, sh I'll shift gears into, into um, dealing with grief and trauma. Is I, yeah. I follow I follow lots of people on on Twitter and stuff and social media, and mm -hmm. every once in a while I run into a parent that that obviously has a similar situation where they lost a child like like we did. Yeah. Yet most of what they comment on is how tortured they are every day in their inability to find any reason to live. I mean, most of their posts are negative. They're very mm -hmm. downer. They're very uninspiring, and you just want to mm -hmm. give them a big hug. But you can't do that every single day to somebody. Somebody at some point, you have to find something internally, um, you know, something that makes you start looking at this in a different perspective. Um, and again, for me, and you and I could spend a whole show talking about the afterlife and the concept of religion and all that. For me, as an yeah. agnostic, you know, as somebody who does not believe in the afterlife, um, my approach to dying and death is is different. Um, and it's probably, to be honest with you, Daniel, has helped me grieve in losing a child because I don't believe in the fact that they're up in some better place and I'm going to die and meet them someday. I, I recall the fact that I'm meeting him right now. I'm creating heaven on earth and I'm living in honor of my son. I'm not going to die to wait to meet him. And mm -hmm. that has helped Jeff Johnston. Now, anybody listening that's overly religious is going to say, well, you're insane and, and you, whatever. Well, that whatever all i know is that my grieving skills are, are substantially better than a lot of people i know that have been through the same thing and maybe yeah. it be that i just view i view death differently and yeah. honor to be alive i don't fear death and for those people i have lost um i'm honoring them by living the best quality of life i can today and, and to continue their story like the book and the blogs and all that so if that can help people out there that are struggling, I'm not telling people not to believe. Um, I'm just telling you is, is to believe in yourself. That's the number one thing. My next blog is called Find Your Inner Superhero. And it's written solely on the concept that we are just obsessed with believing in things that are otherworldly to come in and save us. I mean, the number one franchise in movie history is Marvel, Marvel Cinematic Theaters. And it's the concept of just humans need superheroes. We need something to come in and save us. And I'm like, no, you don't. You, you have it inside of you. You have the ability to be your own superhero. You just got to find it. It's in there. You're just not looking for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that Superman. That's what uh, Frederick Nietzsche talks about. You know, right. he does. And although he's got some other odd things he talks about, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a deep rabbit hole there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I think the another thing you brought up, Nietzsche, is uh, also the Stoic philosophy has helped me a lot too. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not sure how much you've delved into Stoicism, but I know a lot of my friends that have had traumatic events happen. This Stoic idea with, uh, you know, Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus and mm -hmm. uh, Seneca, these are all famous Stoics that um, have written about basically life is trauma. And if you live life afraid of trauma or unable to deal with trauma, then life will consume you and your life will unravel. And the precious time we have here uh, is going to have things happen to us that, that we're not going to enjoy. We're not going to like. And um, yeah, you know, no, I think. Me, me, go ahead. I'm sorry. Kill you makes you stronger. So yeah, 
Yeah. Well, and you know what I what I like to do is 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 read these different philosophies and you know with stoicism I I really think that it's important to set expectations. You know, part of the reason that I set the average dude is hey, it doesn't matter how what label that we have upon us, sometimes whatever we can use to to motivate ourselves. So if I kind of label myself as the average dude, if that gives me a little bit more energy to, to, to see if I can outrun the average dude, so to speak, then, hey, then it, then it works. Uh, and then with expectations with anything, you know, it, I would rather be pleasantly surprised than have expectations that I don't meet. But then at the same time, I think it's important to look in that toolbox and to pull out this, this you know, I, I, I sometimes say, you know, a, a, a delusion is only a delusion until somebody else believes it with you or it works, you know. So, Go ahead and if you want to pull out the delusional hammer and use that, if that works, so to speak, then use that. Have a, have a delusional positive outlook and, and see how that works. Kind of to your point earlier, hey, we're not, it's not like once you pull out that delusional hammer, you have to hold it, it you know, right. perpetually. You can, you can use these different psychological techniques, these different uh, philosophies and 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 you can use it for a while and if you say hey this is no longer working you can put it back and you can try something else so i think it's important to 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 be flexible yeah i mean i spent some time and as as i'm sure you do too um when you kind of throw your hat out in the ring there that people will gravitate to you to ask you for advice you know and i spent some Mm -hmm. time with a gentleman that's a friend of mine that's kind of going through some issues um that similar things that i kind of went through and i think what I was trying to learn from the conversation was that there isn't a template and mm-hmm. you mentioned toolbox. I, I use quiver, you know, arrow in the quiver. You use toolbox. Yeah. same methodology. Right. I like that fact is like, you know what? I don't have right answers. I can't tell you how to grieve. If your child dies, I can't tell you uh, how to quit drinking. I'll, I can tell you what helps me. And That's right. There are many other people that would adamantly deny everything that I just said and mm-hmm. it's helping them. Well then try that idea. Um, my objective is to get people to quit whatever they're abusing, whatever thing they think they're addicted to, whether it's a disease or not, it doesn't matter. It matters mm-hmm. if you can find a way to quit. And that toolbox you mentioned, Daniel, is the key. Keep stuffing that toolbox full of things that you can, at, at times in, in need, you can pop that toolbox and say, oh, maybe I'll use the average dude. I listened to him last week. Or maybe I'll use Jeff Johnston. Or maybe I'll use Russell Brand. Or maybe Sam Harris. Or... I'll keep That's gravitating, right. and the goal is is to whatever you're battling to find a way to, to, to get past that. And that's that's what drives me every day, and I, I know that drives you. I can see it in your presentations that you make. Um, as yeah. we wrap up, my alarm went off. We're at the 50-minute mark. Um, well, that was <laughs> I know. I, it, it, it does when you're talking about things that interest you. Um, yeah. Let me ask you a question. Where do you see your journey going this year? next year where do you uh do you have an end game do you have a goal in mind or are you just going to start cracking doors and plowing down roads and figuring out uh what you're going to do when you get there that's right i I think that i I don't really have an end game as far as the average dude uh i I do think you know to kind of continue down that letting go letting go of the tool that we've been using so just because a tool works for a while we we have the tendency to say, oh, I, I can't put this hammer up. It's been so good for driving these nails. But once the nail's in, 
having that the strength to say it's okay to put that hammer down and do what's best for you now. And so with that, you know, again, I don't, I don't, I don't have to, I, for me, I, I feel better when I am not locked into something. Oh, I've got to make the average do work and I've got to take, right. I'm more of a sprinter than a, than a marathon runner. And I, I like to keep my energy up. So I'm going to follow my energy. Um, and, and with the idea of continuing to grow, but not necessarily all in the same direction. I like to be able to, to use that flexibility to follow whatever path feels right to me. I do, I will say this, Jeff, I've been doing a lot of reading and, and getting, I can feel a shift coming. And I don't know exactly, but that kind of is exciting to me because I don't know exactly where it's going to go, but I've had a lot of new and different thoughts. And I like to challenge things Things that I think, oh, yeah, if you were to talk to me, hey, tomorrow I might look at something that I said today and say, you know what, average dude, you are average, and that's not right. I, ch I, I reserve the right to change my mind completely. Yep. And because I, You'll never be average, dude. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to tell you, you mentioned about books. I just finished a book, and I posted this on, on LinkedIn, uh, a great book by drummer Neil Peart, who died almost a year ago, it was January 7th last year. Um, I don't know if you're a Rush fan. Um, I'm, I'm not, I know who Rush is, that's about Yeah, Neil Burt, arguably the greatest drummer of all time, but he, he, uh, he lost his daughter at 19 years old in a car accident. Two years later, his wife died of cancer. And he got right. on his BMW motorcycle and he drove 55,000 miles and just found, drove 55,000 miles to find a reason to live. That's what he writes in his book. And he's got a book called Ghostwriter I just finished. And it, it's an awesome read if you just need a kick in the butt. If you need to get off your pity party and to see, like Steve Grant, um, to see somebody that's not just had one horrendous, tragic event, but then had it followed up by a second one. And to live the life that they live with such uh, honor and, and, and love of nature and awe of, of the unanswerable questions of life. And just not yeah. willing to accept anything, always be learning. I'm like, that is kind of where I want to hang my hat someday. Someone look back at me and say, you know, the best thing I loved about Jeff, other than he's a big Iron Maiden fan, <laughs> is he he always was learning. He never ever sat was satisfied with the concept of knowing something, and and that is probably something I was born with. I have to say, I've always been inquisitive with ADD. I think you're never satisfied with knowing something. Yeah. Um, do you deal with that as well? Always trying to, to challenge yourself. Um, I like to feel energized. I like to feel passionate and, and I don't, you know, I'm not the one to just, you know, I, I think we can grind, you know, we hear grind and grid and all of that sort of thing. And that that's good. I, I think that my grind is more just I want to keep progressing and I'm not necessarily on the same path, but I want to have the same energy and passion in this and just keep moving forward, if that makes sense. It does make <laughs> you know? sense. And I think what I'll do is um, how can people reach you? Uh, what are the easiest ways if somebody wants to? tap into your uh to your brain I, I would say I, I would i would say the best way to get me is really through linkedin i mean that's that's where i do most of my posts and 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 some of my thought experiments i would call it uh is through linkedin so if they can they can find me there it, you know i do know if you search the average dude 
uh, Daniel Allison on, on Google, you can get to my podcast. But I connect with most people through through LinkedIn. So Well, I know the people that have met you through me uh, ha- have actually extremely enjoyed uh, following you. Uh, <laughs> and, and I know COVID has kind of... Um, Actually, probably knowing you, you've been building up a war chest of things to present. Um, I doubt you've been sitting around feeling sorry for yourself that you got COVID. Um, I'm excited I like about the thoughts. <laughs> I had COVID. I told you nothing happened to me except I couldn't go scuba diving. They, they wouldn't allow us to fly out of the country. So, um, Well, hey, I, I know you like, you like the rock bands and the big hair bands. How about Cinderella and Don't Know What You've Got Till It's Gone? You remember that ballad? Absolutely. You know? How can you not? It's a... So, so I've been thinking a lot about that one, you know, just just a normal, average, everyday uh, day in our life that we have that we feel somewhat normal, you know, all of a sudden you, you, you don't appreciate that feeling of feeling normal until you don't have it. So, I, so one thing I've been thinking about is just, just feeling healthy, not having something, I mean, obviously some people have serious illnesses, but just, just feeling our best. And then having that power of the moment, then, uh, you know, there, there's all these potentialities in each and every moment. When we feel good and we're alive, that's a powerful state. <laughs> so, Well, I tell you what, um, I've been very fortunate, like I said, to meet a lot of great people. And I have been honored to have been able to hook up with you for what seems like a long time, but it's only been about a year. Um, yeah. I look forward to it. That's great. I'm, I'm, I feel fortunate to have hooked up with you, and it's just a testament to, to LinkedIn. And, and like you say, we, maybe we would never met had we not had LinkedIn or COVID or these negative things happen. So back to our stoic philosophy there. Well, I, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, hopefully you can get through this. Uh, I'm off uh, on Friday for a scuba diving trip with my son that's been canceled twice. Nice. Um, so yeah, yeah. forward to that. And uh, definitely try to catch our podcast because, uh, like I said, um, the first one's going to be pretty emotional with my boys. I mean, it's uh, I give me, I'm giving people the opportunity to be a fly on the wall, and hear yeah. the father and their and his two sons talk about the loss of a brother and a son to addiction, and kind of how we've survived as a family. And yeah. I think if anyone's got a got children or thinking about having children or themselves are battling, I really think that the hour that that people watch. Um, I've watched it three times already, and I seem, as the host, I seem to learn something every time I watch it. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited. And again, um, I'll let you go on with your day, and I'm sure our, yeah. our paths will cross here shortly. But uh, any last yeah. words of wisdom you wanted to throw out before you go off into average dude land? <laughs> no, I, w- I would just say be the master of the moment. So I like that. I like that. Well, thanks again. I uh, appreciate our friendship and uh, we'll, we'll touch base soon. And uh, like I said, you're no average dude to me, man. <laughs> thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Right, Enjoyed it. Care.